Welcome to the Human Experience Podcast, the only podcast designed to fuse your left and right brain hemispheres and feed it the most entertaining and mentally engaging topics on the planet. As we approach our ascent, please make sure your frontal, temporal and occipital lobes are in their full upright position. As you take your seat of consciousness, relax your senses and allow us to take you on a journey. We are the Intimate Strangers. Thank you for listening. The Human Experience is in session. My co-host, Dr. G, is here. Our guest tonight is the holistic explorer, Ariana Joy. Ariana, welcome to HXP. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. So you have a highly intriguing story. I know that you suffered with chronic pain for a long time as a child. You were diagnosed with Lyme disease. You realized that Western medicine couldn't really help you. So let's get into that. Let's share your story. Yeah, it's a, it's been quite a journey to say the least. So I am almost 25. I'll be 25 next month. And when I was about 13, um, my parents kind of started realizing that there was something a little off <laughs> about me in, in terms of my health. Um, I'd always kind of been a sickly child, not very strong, didn't have a lot of vitality, got a lot of random you know, ear infections, sinus infections, just weak immune system overall, very, very like lethargic, um, tired a lot. I would get headaches. And then around uh, 12 or 13, um, things just really started to to uh, get worse. And I started having really bad digestive issues. And around the time my period came on, problems with that. And um, around that time, I started having really severe muscle pain too, like just all over my body. My my body would just be in pain constantly. And it, it was painful to do anything for too long of a period of time. If I was laying down for too long, it would hurt. If I was standing, sitting, walking, you name it. Um, it was very painful just to be in my body. And so my mom is uh, my biggest advocate and, you know, such an angel to me and that she started looking for answers for me. And she started with the conventional Western medicine route, which is what she was taught. And so we started by going to our family practitioner and, you know, they just thought I was depressed and put me on antidepressants and, then over the course of the next two years or so, we visited a number of different specialists and nobody really had any answers. It was always just kind of like whatever field of specialty they were in, like, yeah, my symptoms kind of match to that. So that, yeah, okay, you know, go to the rheumatologist and yeah, you have rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or early stage MS or um, it's all in my head and I'm just making it up looking for attention, just go see a psychiatrist. And it got um, a little, you know, it kind of broke me down hmm. uh, just going through all of that. And I started to question myself, like, am I, am I crazy? Am I just making it up? I don't, I don't know. And, and then when I was 16, through a series of fortunate events, I was brought to an acupuncturist who is the one who diagnosed me, diagnosed me with Lyme disease. And based on my symptoms and where I had lived and everything just lined up to, I was about five years old when I contracted it is what this acupuncturist told me. And 
I had thought that having a diagnosis was going to be the answer, you know, just give me a diagnosis and I'll take a pill and I'll be fine because that was the the worldview that I grew up with um, around medicine and healing was, you know, trust trust your doctor and they know and, and they'll just give you a pharmaceutical and you'll be fine tomorrow. Right. And little did I know that Lyme disease is one of the most controversial diseases out there today. Um, there hasn't been a lot of research done on it, and what research has been done is very controversial, and what the doctors say and what the patients say is oftentimes not in alignment. And so from 16 up until about 21, I went back and forth with a number of different doctors, again, just trying to get a, even an official diagnosis from a medical doctor because the tests that the acupuncturists had run didn't weren't FDA approved, and so the medical doctors wouldn't even look at the paperwork. And so that was a whole experience in and of itself. And I can remember I was about 18, and I had met a doctor. He was actually a DO, so he was a little bit more holistic. And he looked at the blood tests and everything, and he was the first medical doctor to say, yes, I do believe that you have Lyme disease. And again, he didn't have any answers. He actually told me that the FDA-approved protocol for Lyme disease, which is a course of antibiotic treatment, would actually harm my body more than it would do me good and that he didn't recommend it. From there, he didn't have any answers. He was like, well, you know, just take some vitamins, you know, get a lot of rest, manage your symptoms. And he basically told me to go live my life while I can and enjoy it while I can because there was no way to tell how quickly it would progress or how far it would go because Lyme disease affects every body differently. It can manifest in any organ system. It can go from, you know, minor aches and pains to extreme paralysis and organ failure. So it was kind of just, you know, hands up in the air, like, go do what you can and, and that's it. And I kind of sat with that for a while, and I, I spiraled down into a, a pretty deep depression for a while. And then I was actually a student at the University of Florida, and this was in 2011, and I started to have problems with my kidneys. And I was going to kidney specialists, I was traveling all around the state to try and find answers, and it again, I was just hitting roadblock after roadblock. And what I see now is that, that those roadblocks were actually one of my greatest gifts because I was being redirected in a direction that would allow me to truly heal, not just put a Band-Aid on it like uh, most of the doctors were wanting to do. Hmm. So again, I was led to an acupuncturist who lived in Gainesville, Florida, and he introduced me to to Eastern medicine, Eastern medicine and the idea of energy in the body and about the the cause of disease, not just the symptoms, but the to go a little deeper into it. And he really, he, I worked with him for about a year. And when I was working with him, I really started to open up. My mind just started to open to the realization that what I had been taught was not the truth. There was some truth to it. It's not that 
Western medicine is evil and it, it has its place, you know, in accidents and surgeries and things like that. I'm extremely grateful for it. God forbid I ever am in that situation myself. I really hope that there's a doctor there to help me through it. And when it comes to more of these um, chronic illnesses and things that, especially things that Western medicine can't fix or heal, that there's an innate power within us that we can tap into and that we can heal ourselves with. How did you how did you get to that breakthrough where you realized that okay, western medicine is no longer helping me. I'm going to try these other things and I think you I think you spent some time in the jungle, right, with a shaman. I did. Yeah, so the journey from there just opened up in that moment there was a very specific moment one one evening when I was sitting in my car and, uh, you know, just the world felt like it was crashing in around me. One of the doctors had told me that I was potentially going into kidney failure. Again, they didn't really know what to do. And I just surrendered. I just let go. And I just said, whatever is out there, God, the universe, I don't know what you are, but if you are out there, I need help because I have done everything in my power that I know of to help myself. And I don't know what to do from here. So I need help (laughs) is what I asked for. And from there, the doors just started opening. I mean, I was led to that acupuncturist. And then I I ended up living in Europe for 13 months where I worked with one of the leading Lyme specialists in the Netherlands. And I worked with a number of other uh, healing practitioners, alternative healing practitioners, um, to really bring my body back into balance. And it was a very intense year. Um, Six months of that was a very, very intense herbal protocol where I was basically on the couch for six months, felt like I was dying, but it was part of the process. You know, all of that junk, all of those toxins were moving out of me. And it got to a point where one of the therapists told me, she said, you know, I... I think that your body is doing really well. All of these things that you're doing is really helping, but it's almost as though your mind doesn't know how to be healthy because I'd been sick for so long. Basically, my entire life I'd been sick, and my mentality was that of a sick person. The only way that I knew how to be in the world was as someone who had an illness. And so she said, you know, I I had kind of already started looking into spirituality and the idea, you know, I'd started meditating already, but it was kind of like a, a side thing. It wasn't really my focus. Mm -hmm. So when she said that, I started to really put my awareness in that, like, okay, there's something deeper that I need to go into. And I need, I, you know, again, I just asked for guidance. I said, what is it? What's next? And it's just funny how it worked literally the day after. So I sat down in meditation one night and I said, all right, I have a feeling that my time in Europe is coming to a close. I know that my body is doing really well. What's next? And the next day, a friend sent me a link to a retreat center in Peru, which it was an ayahuasca healing retreat center. And as soon as I read over the website, I just knew there's just this inner knowing that no matter what else was going on in the world, no matter all the reasons why I shouldn't go to Peru, i.e. not having the money, you know, all, all these different reasons why logically it didn't make sense for me to go to Peru, I knew that I needed to go to the jungle, that this was an answer for me. It was the next step. <laughs> so yeah. are, 
can I ask you a quick quick question? Um, so so before when you had the like the medical issues, how did they know it was Lyme disease? Because you know there's like chronic Lyme disease. Did you have like mm-hmm. the did you have the uh, the rash like the the textbook rash they had? Did they check for the bacteria? How did they know? What was the process yeah. there? Yeah, so I don't ever remember having a rash because I was so young. and since Which is I- common. I think like 25% of patients actually don't get the rash. Which exactly, is, you yeah. Know. It, you know, estimates are always different. 50 to 20, you know, 25 to 50% of people don't get the rash. Um, and then from there, the, the bacteria, so Lyme disease is a bacterial infection. And oftentimes the bacteria will come along with different co-infections, viruses, Um, most people with Lyme disease have candida, all of these different things that can wreak havoc in the body. And, um, but it can lie dormant for a while. So it's just the similar to people with like HIV, you can have the virus in your body, but it could be there for years before it actually manifests and you start having symptoms. And, So I think that's kind of what happened with me is that I started having some symptoms. My immune system was a little weakened, but it wasn't until I was a teenager and I had a a fairly traumatic emotional experience being in an abusive relationship at a young age when I was um, 13 that really triggered this in me. So to answer your question, um, I did uh, test positive on some of the tests uh, that the FDA approves, but not all of them. Um, there's different markers and things that they read. Um, and then the tests that the acupuncturist, the original acupuncturist had had me do, um, was basically scanning my blood for the bacteria. And that was the one that showed up positive, but that test was not approved by the FDA. It's such a weird disease because I mean, a lot of the (laughs) blood tests, show up, especially early in the disease process, I'm pretty sure they show up negative from what I remember. I mean, my uncle had Lyme disease mm-hmm. also, and uh, he was in a heavily like deer tick populated area in Georgia. But yeah. it's, such a, it's such an odd disease, you know, like the chronic levels versus, um, you know, just acutely getting it. Yeah, it's and it, it's hard to diagnose too, because it does affect everybody differently. And, you know, some people say that oh, it doesn't exist in these states. Like when I got diagnosed, I was living in Florida and I kept being told, well, we don't have Lyme disease in Florida. And I didn't grow up in Florida. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest in Washington and Oregon where Lyme disease is very prevalent. I lived in the middle of a national forest basically for 10 years. And um, so, yeah, it, it is a very interesting disease in how it manifests and the acute and the chronic and the whole political side of it is a whole nother story too. Hmm. So it sounds like you're going through this process of breaking down over and over and over, and then you get this call to go into the jungle, which you decide to do. And describe to us, let's paint a picture of what it feels like to work with a shaman for, was it, was it six months? Was that how long you were there? Yeah, I was there for almost six months. So I had originally planned to go to a healing center for one month. And my intuition at this point had become pretty strong. And I I knew that I wasn't supposed to make any plans for afterwards. I just figured, you know, I'll go travel Peru, kind of do maybe like an eat, pray, love sort of experience. (laughs) And um, so I just booked one month at the healing center. And then I just left it open after that. And um, in my first ayahuasca ceremony, ayahuasca, this sacred plant medicine, basically told me that I was to stay at this healing center. And I was told who to talk to. I was told that I was going to be there, that this was part of my life work was working with ayahuasca. 
And so I ended up staying there for almost six months. And let's see, paint a picture. It's a it's a very kind of out of this world experience in terms of the average uh, Westerners experience of life. I mean, you're the healing center where I was at. It was two and a half hours, give or take, from the nearest city, which is one of the most isolated cities in the world in the middle of the Amazon jungle. It was like a 24-hour trip to get there. Um, you're just surrounded by these sounds and and smells and, and feelings that are uh, kind of foreign, you know, all the, the animals and the insects. and, and Where, Where'd you end up going? Which center? Uh, the Temple of the Way of Light. Okay. Is that the, did you go to the one in the mountain or the, there's like, that's the place that has the two options? Um, nope. This one only has one. It's in the jungle. Yeah. Okay. So you were in Iquitos? Yeah. Outside of Iquitos. Nice. A couple hours outside of Iquitos. Yeah. Hmm. So what was your takeaway from the jungle? Wow. <laughs> that's a big question. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. So many takeaways. I mean, Spending six months, I did 22 ayahuasca ceremonies while I was in Peru, and I worked with a number of other plants doing what's called plant dietas, and a lot of what I was doing was clearing my past, learning about my childhood, and kind of seeing it from a different perspective, and learning about Lyme disease and the illness and the influence that it had had on me, and and also... You know, if I had to say what was one of the biggest things that I took away from that experience now being a year and a half later, had you asked me this question coming out of the jungle immediately, it might have been a different answer. But I've been back in the United States for over a year now. It's been over a year and a half since I started working with ayahuasca. And one of the biggest things that I've learned is my own potential. Um, I've Ayahuasca brought me to both extremes to the darkest parts of myself and also to the brightest, you know, lightest, uh, most empowered, highest potential part of myself and who I can be in the world. And so what do I use on my, you know, day to day life now that I learned from ayahuasca is that I can basically do whatever I want (laughs) and I am in control of my life. And, um, you know, we all are. It's not just me. I'm not just special. You know, we all have this capacity to to co-create and to uh, to step more fully into who we are when we let go of all the stuff that the world has put on us. When we let go of who we were told to be or who we were told we should be. And when we just step into who we are and just show up in the world that way, I mean, magic happens. <laughs> Can you kind of talk about, because everyone pretty much has a, everyone I've known has a very interesting how they first did ayahuasca story. Mm-hmm. What was this call? Like, what was, what's your story? How did it come in, like seep into your life, so to speak? Um, well, so I synchronistically just ended up in Europe <laughs> um, and I met a girl in Spain. Or I met her in Portugal, but we were in Spain together, traveling together. And she introduced me to ayahuasca, um, at least the idea of it. She told me that it was one of the biggest blessings that life had ever given her, that it had healed her a lot. And I thought it was fascinating. And I looked into it a little bit. And it was kind of one of those things, because at this point, I was really doing a lot of research on healing and stuff. And 
a lot of stuff was coming into my awareness and it was kind of, I just put it on the back shelf as something that I would like to try one day. It wasn't in my immediate vicinity. It wasn't something that I could try right then and there. So I was like, all right, one day that's something I would be interested in doing. And then about six months later, six, seven, eight months later, um, this guy sends me that message on Facebook and he just said, you know, I know you're into healing and you really need to check this place out. I've been here twice, uh, really awesome stuff happening. And then he told me a little bit about ayahuasca and he's like, if you feel the call, like you'll know that it's for you. If you don't feel anything, then just, you know, ignore it, ignore the message. And when I read it, it was just like, I call it like zinging in my body. Like there was just this intense tingling that I've come to know is kind of a a message from my higher self that I'm in alignment with uh, my path or, you know, with, uh, what is going to be the best thing for me at that time. And like I said, I just knew that I needed to get to the jungle. And despite not having any money to get there at the time, I uh, attracted that financial abundance into my life. And I less than eight months later was in the jungle sitting down for my first ayahuasca ceremony. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. So, so then you're back in the States and you decide, are you still, I mean, just to rewind a bit, are you still suffering from your Lyme disease symptoms? I mean, do you still have that? I do still have symptoms, yes. Um, one thing that I, that I learned with ayahuasca is the, the words that we use are very powerful. So I choose not to look at it as suffering or even battling Lyme disease. Um, honestly, I don't even necessarily think of myself as having Lyme disease anymore. I don't really, that's not a part of my identity is like, oh, that Lyme chick or, you know, like that patient with Lyme disease. The I Lyme see, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see it as Uh, there is something in my body that is still out of alignment. And so I do still have symptoms and I I don't see myself as suffering. One of the things that the plants taught me was that illness and disease are messengers. They're, you know, we don't have pain if something's not wrong. You put your hand on a stove, you get pain because, you know, you take, you're being told to take your hand off the stove. So um, when I have a symptom that comes up, I have learned to kind of go into it. You know, we we tend to want to push pain away. We want to put a Band-Aid on it or, you know, put some ice on it, numb it, and make it just go away. And I've learned instead to actually go deeper into it to receive the message that my body is trying to tell me. Right. So was the Vipassana meditation retreat did you do that after the ayahuasca i did yeah yeah let's get into that how did how did that work that was um just something that had crossed again my field of awareness a friend told me about it and when i first heard about vipassana i had no desire to do it (laughs) unlike ayahuasca Um, I was like, yeah, 10 days silence. No, not me. Like I like to talk. I, you know, I, I don't think I can do that. And then when I came back from Peru, I'd met a ton of people in Peru in six months at a healing center. A lot of people were coming through and a bunch of them had done Vipassanas and they all had really great things to say about it. So I started thinking like, you know, maybe this is something that I can explore. And it just kind of lined up that there was one on my birthday last year, and my best friend and I went to it, and um, that was a really a really powerful experience as well. I mean, just uh, learning 
discipline in that way to not, it's not just silence. It's 11 hours of meditation a day. It's no reading, no writing, no music, no eye contact with the people who are around you. It's a very basic diet. Um, and it, I learned a lot about where my mind to, goes. <laughs> you went to the one in Georgia? I went to one in Wisconsin, actually. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it 10-day, standard 10-day one? Yep, 10 days. Can, can you can you just tell people, like, I went to one of these before. I don't know how the food was there, but it's some of the best food I've ever had in my entire life is at these <laughs> Vipassana meditation retreats. <laughs> <laughs> and really? it's completely free. Like, it, I can't believe that they do this for free, and they only accept money from people. They can only accept donations from people that have done the course. That's the, the only way to really handle donations, I think, from an organization. They, they do it so well. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have the food experience. <laughs> so I am a little bit of a foodie. So Was it just uh, cheese the whole time? <laughs> it was a lot of cheese and a lot of bread. And considering that I'm uh, gluten intolerant and lactose intolerant, that wasn't the most exciting thing for me. But uh, that wasn't why I was there, you know. But I do think that the uh, the whole mentality of being of service the way that they are, you know, they're not like pay thousands of dollars to come have this experience. And then if you don't like it, eh, yeah, too, too bad. Sorry. They are come have this experience. And then whatever value you receive from it, if you want to, you know, give back to financially support someone else to have this experience, then, then that is how they, they run. And I just think that's fascinating. I think that's a, it's a whole new way of, um, you know, of allow of having a a healing center run because that's basically what it is, you know. So yeah, there was so, so there was a sort of internal. You're I mean you're you're going in into yourself in these in both of these ways. I mean ayahuasca is a very internal kind of thing, right? And mm-hmm. you're processing all this information. Vipassana kind of does the same thing in in a completely different way. Um, so I mean, where I mean, where did you? So you you practice meditation now, and how how do you think that's helped you with the everyday kind of battle that you experience? Mm. Meditation, I found, is one of the most powerful tools for navigating through this crazy wild world that we live in, and I mean that's why I do these retreats. That's why I isolate myself in the jungle. I'm actually going back to Peru this summer. Um, that's why I do Vipassana retreats, or sometimes I'll just turn off my phone and turn off my computer for the weekend or for a night or something to just kind of go into myself. And what I found is that you know we have this innate knowing this kind of instinct about what's best for us all animals do you know animals know what to eat when to sleep when to migrate and we have that too as humans and we also have the gift of a more uh, expanded elevated consciousness that we can bring to it and so it's not just this uh kind of mindless moving in a direction because that's what our instinct tells us to, we also get to like learn lessons from it. And there's so many gifts that come through following that kind of inner knowing. And what I found is that this inner voice and, you know, we all kind of have our own opinion or perspective on what this inner voice is. Some call it just your instinct. Some call it inner knowing or intuition or guidance or, you know, all of these different things is that 
whatever you choose to call it, this thing knows something (laughs) outside of what our limited human mind can see. So when I go into meditation, when I go into the jungle, when I go turn off my phone and just be with myself, it's my way of connecting with this inner voice because there's so much stimulation in our world. There's so much information coming in. I mean, even if you don't watch the news or I mean, I, I, I don't watch the news. I don't listen to the radio. I am very, very selective about basically everything that comes into my experience. And I feel like that helps me to be, you know, a better person in the world because of it. And with all this stimulation, we become numb to that voice. We, we, we don't, most people don't even know it's there. You know, they might get a, a gut feeling every once in a while, but oftentimes they ignore it. And I've just learned that this inner voice knows exactly what I need to do each step of the way. And I realize now I didn't know it at the time, but it's what's been guiding this entire healing process for me. So how do you think this current kind of cesspool landscape of culture that's going on that you, you know, that you kind of pretty much are checking out of is going to bear on your generation in the future? I see us as having a really, really big and beautiful opportunity to make some radical change in the world. And it doesn't take a lot, you know, you don't have to look very far to realize that our world is not doing very good. We're not doing very well as a species. Um, And I really do believe that we are being given the opportunity to create change in a way that's more sustainable and more fulfilling to every person and all beings on this planet, plants and animals and everything in, you know, I, I do get down on this, the cesspool of (laughs) our culture that we've created. And sometimes I just look at the world and I'm like, Oh God, it's too much. Like there's no way that we can do this. Like we can't really change this, you know, but then I, I, I look around at, at some of the really beautiful things that are happening in the world. I mean, you know, what even what you guys are creating here in your podcast, I mean, you know, this is creating change, you know, for all the people who are listening to you, for all the people who are watching my videos, we're influencing in a, a maybe subtler way than um, some people think this change needs to happen in. A lot of people are very kind of more masculine energy go in and, and, you know, just create change right then and there. And it's, I think that it's going to be a little bit of a more subtle, um, internal individual change. And as each person begins to shift their own awareness a bit, it'll begin to create a ripple effect that is going to change all of humanity is my belief. You said something super interesting. So you said that there's some kind of energetic balance. How do you see that kind of masculine feminine balance going on within our generation, just in, in general right now in this society that you live in, mm-hmm. how would you, how would you describe what's going on? I would say that we live in a very patriarchal male dominated masculine energy society right now. And the masculine energy is, um, not bad in and of itself. I mean, it, in order to have balance, we have to have both, right? So to go to the extreme feminine side, that wouldn't be right either. That wouldn't be the best thing for all of us either. Um, But to bring ourselves kind of back to center, away from the more masculine, which is very um, 
I mean, just look at the American culture, you know, it's instant gratification, it's quick, fast, easy, cheap, you know, just go, 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 build, 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 um, you know, get bigger, 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 faster, faster, faster. And that action, that energy of action is completely necessary. We need it. And <laughs> we also need the more feminine energy of of stillness and of intuition and of uh, flowing um, and bringing those two into balance and dancing with the two. Like I said, you know, it's going to be a more individual uh, change. I, I believe that it's going to happen within ourselves. Just being able to witness those kind of two um, polarities within ourselves and being able to dance with them and, and being able to know when to show one and when to show the other, you know, when the, I call it the art of discernment of discerning when to use what energy or what aspect of ourself is a better, another way to put it. So Ariana, how, how do you think this is sustainable for you? I mean, is, I mean, I know that you have different tools that you use like meditation, yoga, and your, your diet is pretty specific, I imagine. So, um, I mean, to the people who watch your videos and are learning from you and becoming part of your community, I mean, what are, what are you offering them? What are you giving them? My overall message, I guess, and, and I do this through a number of different ways. I m make YouTube videos. I have a blog. I am pretty active on social media, and um, I also do spiritual life coaching. And my overall kind of message, I guess I would say, is to learn how to listen to this inner voice and that you can trust it. And that, you know, there, like you said, the, everything kind of plays into it. it. It's the, the mindfulness techniques, it's our diet, it's our relationships, it's our career and passion. It's, you know, all, every different aspect of ourself plays into this fulfillment and into being our authentic selves. Um, this, idea hit me when I was in Peru of exploring your life unapologetically. So basically the way that I see that is just showing up in the world as who you are and not being sorry for it, not having to apologize for wanting something or for not wanting something or for behaving in one way and not another way that someone else thinks you should. And I think that we all have the ability to show up more fully as who we are through letting go of who we're not. And there's so many different ways that we can begin to move, remove those blocks that are preventing us from being our authentic self. And I like to use the metaphor of it's like peeling, it's like you're a burn victim. You know, let's say you got a third degree burn on your arm. And you have all this burnt, charred skin on, on your arm. And in order to allow the new skin to breathe, you have to peel off that old skin. You have to get rid of it. And that is how healing happens. And I feel through my journey and through all of the people that I've been working with and connecting with that this is a part of the process. We have to be willing to peel off that old stuff and let go of all of that old stuff that's preventing us from breathing fully. And sometimes that's painful. You know, sometimes 
that isn't pretty. Sometimes it's really, really hard. <laughs> so then what, so what led you to hit record on your YouTube camera and, and kind of put yourself in the world to, to do what you're doing right now? I was actually contemplating that. I was just meditating <laughs> before we had this call. And I was contemplating that about just this whole journey and where it's taken me. And I can kind of see how this whole process, I, I've been being prepared for this work that I'm doing right now. And But originally at the time when I pressed that play button, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea that this was going to be a part of my story. I was just, I was in Peru and I... It was the morning after my first ayahuasca ceremony. It was like 12 hours later. And I really wanted to journal about my experience, but I was kind of in this um, state where I was not able to write at the time. And I just decided to grab my phone and I went and sat on this trail and I just started recording this video of my experience. And I had some friends and, you know, family who were interested in hearing about my journey. So I kind of figured like, eh, you know, like instead of me coming back and telling them about it, they can see it firsthand what it was like. And so I just talked. <laughs> I just talked into the camera as though I was talking to myself or talking to my mom or my best friend. And I just gave it all, you know, I really wanted to document the experience. And so I talked about some of the more specific details that had I known that, you know, a ton of people were going to be seeing this video, I probably wouldn't have talked about. <laughs> yeah. I, and then I just kept making more. It it felt very uh, freeing to talk about it. Versus, I, I love writing and that's really powerful for me. But to be able to just kind of articulate it and, and to just have that on video for me um, was great. And so I made, I believe, six videos when I was in Peru and all with the intention of just showing to an intimate group of people. And as my time in Peru kind of progressed, I started to realize more and more that these videos weren't just for myself and these uh, close people in my life, that my journey was different and that I had an experience that would resonate with a lot of people and that it was almost my sacred duty to humanity to share this with the world and to to put these videos up on YouTube and it was never really my intention to to market them or it, or I mean I had already trained to be a, a coach and so again that was kind of in the back of my mind of of wanting to step more fully into my role as a coach and guiding people but it wasn't out of the intention of like marketing myself or anything like that it was just kind of like when I posted that first video I actually said a prayer before it and I just said you know universe whoever needs to hear this message I trust that you will you know, allow them to find this video. And I just let it be at that. And it has just grown since then. I think I have close to 50 videos up now. And the way that I make videos is I just when I feel inspired, when I feel that zing that I talked about of something that I feel like someone somewhere will benefit from, I just post I, I you know, grab my computer and I make a video and I post it. And I just let it go out into the world. <laughs> How do you feel about this kind of personal branding that's going on with, you know, you have these YouTube stars, you know, you have people with their blogs that are becoming internet celebrities. How do you, how do you feel about this changing landscape in, in every aspect? I think 
you know, on so many levels, it's a really beautiful thing. I think that the internet has allowed us to experience life in a way that we uh, have never before as a species, right? I mean, you guys never would have found me, (laughs) you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for the internet. And I've connected with so many beautiful, beautiful people in this last year since I posted that first video. And, and whether it's just people commenting on my videos or the, the numerable, um, private messages that people send me or emails or connecting with people who eventually become clients. It, it's been such a gift to, uh, to be able to connect with people all over the world. It's great living in the future. Oh, totally. Yeah. This is totally the future. (laughs) And that being said, I think, um, (laughs) you know, my, my boyfriend always says, he's like, I feel like I'm dating a celebrity. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, that doesn't feel like me at all. <laughs> I don't see myself like that at all. But then I guess other people do in a way see me as a, a YouTube star or uh, this or that, you know, we all have our own perspectives. And I'm just like, I just want to share, you know, I just want to see more light in the world. I just want to see more people be happy. I just want to see more people having fun and being playful. And you know, it doesn't really matter to me if that's one person or, you know, the 3,500 people who've subscribed to my YouTube channel so far. It's just as long as it's that one person, you know, as long as like one person receives benefit from what I'm doing, then it totally makes it worth it. You know, it seems kind of cliche, but I feel the same way about the podcast. And Mm -hmm. I feel like if we can reach just that one person that we've done our jobs in some way. But you also have this community that you've set up uh, where people can connect and kind of talk. Can you tell us more about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this whole process has been just like, I just take it as it comes, it unfolds. And and I take and this is what I was kind of talking about, about the masculine and the feminine, right? So my whole uh, coaching practice and the community and the videos, I don't have a business plan. I don't have a business strategy. I don't sit down and, you know, all right, well, today I'm going to write this blog and tomorrow I'm going to write this video and this is the plan for the community and this and that. It's not like that at all for me. I just go with it and I just take it as it comes. And what I realized is as I was connecting with a lot of people from all over the planet, from so many different walks of life, is that the one thing that kind of tied us all together is that we feel like we're alone. We feel like we are outsiders in this world and like we're crazy, kind of. (laughs) That was a word that a lot of people used. And I know that I felt a lot of times myself. And a lot of people just kept saying like, you know, I don't really need coaching, but I just want someone to talk to about what I'm experiencing. I need to know that I'm not crazy. And so I decided, I'm like, why not? Like, why not create this community where people can come to and connect and share and, you know, be inspired and grow together and just kind of see where it goes. So it started with, Um, an online forum. And then from there, we opened up to monthly group calls. And recently, I expanded it to Facebook at the request of many of the members um, to kind of have a more like daily interaction. So is it more like a mastermind group? Is that what you're doing? It it isn't quite a mastermind. No. Um, It's just a place for people to connect, I guess. I mean, so we actually had our monthly group call was earlier today. 
And um, I led the first, I think the first group call was in November. So, you know, four months or so. Um, And I let, I actually handed the reins over to someone else this month. I let someone else lead the group because the group isn't about me. I just happen to be kind of the common thread between all of these people because of my YouTube videos. Um, But I'm not really trying to like, you know, market it or, or, sell anything or anything like that. It's just a way for people to share. And and I feel like one of the greatest gifts that I can give people through this and, and that has been given to me is the space to step up into my leadership abilities and to know that I can create influence in the world and that I am a force for good. And so I started um, asking members of the community if they want to lead the group calls to kind of give them that space to to be a leader and to uh, to step more fully into their power. Okay, or- Ariana, speaking of crazy, we're going <laughs> to we're going to try this new bit. So Xavier and I have been talking about doing this for some interviews. And it's got it's just the called the five question segment. So we're going to ask you five questions Ooh. and we want you to answer the questions as like I'm going to ask you a question, right? And I want you to answer it how it makes you feel and try to use adjectives if you can. So okay? the first thing that you think of. The first thing that comes to your mind, right? <laughs> All right, okay. you're on the spot right now. This is not a game, all right? <laughs> I'll hear anything. All right, let's go, all guys. All right, you're, we're, you're popping our five questions cherry right now on the human experience. It's an exclusive, all right? <laughs> Magic moment here, guys. All right, ready? Okay. Favorite color? Pink. Why? Cool. Okay, so my favorite color is pink. <laughs> so far, so good. Okay, and it makes me feel cheerful is, is the first thing that kind of comes to mind. Okay, next question. Favorite animal and why? Mm, my favorite animal is a giraffe. And why? Because they're so strange and awkward. <laughs> and they're still so cool at the same time, you know? They're like horses, but with like crazy long necks. <laughs> All right. So, air, water, earth, fire. Air, water, earth, fire. Favorite element and why? Fire. Because it it's what transmutes, you know. It 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 changes things. Um, and I'm a fire sign. <laughs> I'm an Aries. We're, we're over halfway through this. We got this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Favorite body of water? Any body of water you've ever been in or seen or heard of? What's your favorite body of water and why? Hmm. Favorite body of water is, I don't know if this is an answer, but my bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's one of my- This is highly interesting. This just got really interesting. (laughs) It's my favorite place to meditate. Okay. So it it clears your mind. Yeah, exactly. There you go. You're going to love the reasoning behind all of these answers. Oh, God. All right, last question. You ready? So- You wake up tomorrow morning in an empty white room. And there's no doors. There's no windows. How do you react? Um, I would think I was dead. <laughs> and I think I would be okay with that. Not that, okay, that's how, that kind of came out wrong. <laughs> Not that I want to <laughs> die, but I feel like a white room is like, it's light, you know? It's just like pure light. That's <laughs> what I imagine. So I would be... I, I would be centered and calm and embrace it. Perfect. Okay. So the first one 
is the color represents how you feel about yourself. So what did you say? Cheerful? Cheerful, yeah. Cheerful, okay. The, the animal is your ideal partner. So someone oh. that's weird <laughs> and awkward is your ideal partner. Uh, the element is your spirituality. So mm. fiery. Mm-hmm. And the body of water is how you feel about sex. So back oh, to there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last one you actually nailed, it is how you feel about death. Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. So Ariana, it has it's been a pleasure talking to you, actually. Very interesting. Is is there any is there any sort of message or anything that you want to get out to your listeners, followers, people? Yeah. Mm. You know, just keep going. <laughs> this is a wild ride we're on, guys. <laughs> this this life experience, the human experience, you know, and just uh, embrace it, make the most of it, learn from it what you can, and and know that there's more on the other side. Buckle up. Perfect. Exactly. <laughs> and where hands like you just don't care. <laughs> and where can people find your work, your website? My website is theholisticexplorer.com, and I'm also on YouTube. If you just type in my name, Ariana Joy, I think you can find me that way. Awesome. Well, guys, this is The Human Experience. Thank you so much for listening. And to my guest, Ariana, and my co-host, thanks, guys. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks.